20 years later, I was more afraid of mediocrity than I was a failure. I didn't want to be that person that 20 years later, you know, about the time age I am now that, you know, said, I wish I had some pretty good talents and I wish I had taken the shot. And I took the shot. I went in and I quit my job. It was literally the month that Jacob, our son, was born and in our fourth kid. So it was a it was a big shot to take, but, you know, never, never looked back. This is for the others out there, the other ambitious people who want to play at a higher level in their life. It's time to get curious and get real. Join me, and together, let's find the others. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Find the Others podcast. I am your host, Joshua Church. Grateful to have you with us. New episodes are dropping every Wednesday and Sunday, so be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can get the notification when a new episode comes out. And give me a follow on Instagram at Joshua Dean Church to catch different clips and highlights that I post. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, you find something that might be valuable, please be sure to share it with a friend who also might be into it so that together we can continue to grow our tribe of others. Today, I'm excited to bring you a conversation I had with the man, the myth, the legend, Jeff Church, aka Papa Church, aka Babu, aka my father. Now, Jeff is a seasoned entrepreneur and currently CEO and founder of Rowdy Energy, where he's partnered up with NASCAR Cup Series champion Kyle Bush to disrupt the energy drink space with a cleaner, better for you energy and hydration drink. Give it a, a look at rowdyenergy.com. The energy drink is delicious. I never drank energy drinks before, and now I do because it's clean, it's legit, and it tastes delicious. Previously, Jeff co-founded and served as CEO for Suja Juice, an organic cold-pressed juice company that exploded onto the scene in 2012. Suja grew from zero to $100 million a year in revenue in less than five years. In 2014, Forbes ranked Suja the third most promising company in America. And in 2015, Suja topped the Inc. 500 list of the fastest-growing food and beverage company in America, coming in at 13 overall. Jeff was named Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year and BevNet Person of the Year in 2015 as well. We dig a lot into the Suja story. We talk about his journey into entrepreneurship his philosophies in business, building culture, and crazy life experiences like running ultra marathons and climbing five out of the seven summits. I hope that you enjoy this conversation with my dad, Jeff Church. Welcome, Father. <laughs> Thank you. Happy to be here. Great that you finally got the call up. <laughs> got the call from the from the minor leagues. Got the call from the minor leagues. I know uh, this has been uh, this has been a long time in the work, so I'm happy to uh, to get you onto uh, onto the podcast for conversation. Here. Happy to be here. Yep, let's <laughs> lots of good stuff. Uh, you're teasing me a bit. <laughs> when are you going to get me on the podcast? When are you? Well, here we are. And well, you uh, just had to run through your A list celebrities yeah. first, so now you're on your B list. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, you know what? There you you are in demand. So there have been several people <laughs> that have been wondering when 
the one with Jeff Church is going to come out. So, um, so I'm excited. Well, here I am. <laughs> here you are uh, from Cleveland. We just watched a tough Browns game this morning. It's tough being a Cleveland sports fan. 30, 31 years since they won a, won a division. That's pretty great. Longer than my marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever like stop and think like, you know, you're Cleveland born and raised and, you know, you're living in this beautiful home in San Diego, California and like built this incredible life. Like you ever stop and have moments where you're like, crap, like what am I doing out here? How did I get here? Do you ever have moments where it kind of like takes you back? I do. I mean, usually when I go back, it's usually when we go to Chautauqua for the summers that I, I, I get those. And occasionally, as you know, we've driven past the old house and actually went up to it um, a couple of years ago, a number of years ago. I don't know if you were with us or not, but it was uh, it's the same family in it that we had sold it to. They'd sold it to, given it to their kids wow. over the years. So it was uh, first they were like wondering why we, you know, walking around the backside of the house. Um, but then they, 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 they didn't, we didn't go in it, but mm -hmm. it is, a, it's a long, it's a long way from Lakewood, Ohio to Southern California. Yeah. Was it, was this like, was this ever the plan? Was this the plan for you? Like, could you have, could you have predicted or imagined that you would be where you're at today when you were growing up in Cleveland? No, I, I really couldn't. I mean, I, you know, I drew a, a circle around a 300 mile radius of Cleveland thinking that I was going to find a business to buy in that circle. And I found one in Los Angeles. So <laughs> missed it by about 2000 miles. So it. <laughs> It's, uh, you know, just the, 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 the things you plan for don't always end up and the things you don't plan for, you know, do end up. So it's, uh, it, it's all good, but it's been a great journey and I love Southern California and the weather and, you know, being out, having, being outdoors and don't really like the, uh, the wealth taxes and all that kind of stuff. But I, but I love, love being in Southern California. Yeah. And you've been, you've been on a big walking kick recently, like these past couple months, you've been walking like what nearly was it is it 100 miles a month pretty much you've been yeah, walking about 130 i call <laughs> it the senior tour for running um, so i can i can no longer run without having to take a couple of days off in between in between runs but uh, walking has been great it's been you know listening to podcasts listen to books on tape and, and listen to music and it's just been you know in the house that we're in now where there's trails you know around us so it's been neat to kind of jump off and and do that and you know i've been averaging about 130 miles you know, a month. And, you know, I, I probably wasn't averaging that much in running because I right. have to take a few days off, you know, as you get older in between, in between runs. Right. And I mean, you've been a lifelong runner and it's the funniest thing that I, I always hated running growing up. Yeah. Somehow slowly my hobbies are becoming the hobbies that you used to have, even though I wanted nothing to do with them. Well, Here's especially the climbing when you told me after our first climb together, I, um, that uh, you said, Dad, I don't think your hobbies and mine are the same. Your idea of fun and my idea of fun are two different things. Right, right. But there you are now climbing mountains and you know running triathlons and, and running. It's crazy. I, you know, I, I didn't think that I, I understood until like I finally caught the bug after that first triathlon that I did, which is like, oh, this is fun. This is just an arena where it's you versus yourself and you just get a, it's, it's just, you are competing with yourself and you're just pushing yourself. And there's like, there's a major threshold here and you can improve as much as you're willing to like push the pedal to the metal. I mean, what, what, what role has running played for you? Oh my gosh. Running has been such a big part of my life since I was in uh, middle school and I would run around the, uh, I'd run around the gym, the gym, the basketball court for extra credit. It was my goal always to get my, or my dad always you know, wanted me to get a, an A in gym class. <laughs> didn't, didn't matter what didn't you get, got. Didn't care about anything else. So I always just I'd run around laps on, you know, in the morning before school. And I just kind of had a love affair with running over my whole, over my whole life. And, you know, I think that sometimes mommy got jealous about it because I would actually go out for a run for eight, nine, as you know, eight, nine mile run takes an hour and a half or so to do. So it takes up a lot of, takes up a lot of time. But, um, 
I just have loved it. I love the feeling, you know, when the endorphins kick in and after you, do, you, you know, after you run, it's always been such a great tool for kind of weight management and, you know, staying in shape and, and then the goals of, you know, just, just running, I, you know, I, you know, run, you know, over 55 marathons over the years and, um, not, not so many recently, of course, but, mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of ultra marathons and, you know, got in the habit of running my, my age on, on, the, on, you know, like when I was 20, 30 and 40, didn't make it when I was 50. So I got 60 coming up, but I don't that's know. Right. That's probably not going to happen. Maybe a walking. Yeah. Maybe a walk run combo. Yeah. Or maybe you can outsource some of your miles to your kids. <laughs> there you go. Do a relay or something. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, walking has been great. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it, 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 it's a little lame, but I mean, it, compared to running, but it's great. It's been, I call it the senior tour and I've been, you know, just enjoying it for the last, uh, you know, I've done over 120 miles each of the last five, six months. So, yeah. And, and these are like, and walking, you're spending even more time because it, it takes it is, longer it's to like get 18, miles. 18, you know, 18 minutes a, a mile. And so it just takes a lot of time to do it. Right. You know, right. Unfortunately, I have that time. So. Yeah. And, and so you're kind of at this interesting transition right now coming out of Suja, which was, you know, where you were full time, full energy focused for the last how many years was that? Uh, seven, seven, seven years. Yeah. And dog years, as you like to say. Yeah. Suja years. Suja each year, years. Each year is a dog year. Each year is a dog year. 49 years, really. <laughs> Yeah. And, and so then all of a sudden, like, you know, you, you depart and you step down as CEO, right. Mm-hmm. From, from Suja to focus on other things at a different point in your career. What was that transition period like for you? And and is that where some of the walking started kicking in for you? Um, you know, it was a, that transition happens that usually when I sell, you know, sell a business. Um, and this time it was leaving, leaving a business. It was a hard transition to be honest with you, because I, you know, was going from working, as you know, kind of crazy hours and, and times with, you know, with a lot of people that I really enjoyed and, um, you know, to transitioning to something that was much more virtual and, and not office, you know, not office related. And um, and also right at a time when um, Suja is doing really well, which is great. And I'm, I'm still, you know, a big investor in Suja and I'm really committed to the the future of it. But, you know, challenging, challenging to kind of transition from high intense environments to, you know, to, you know, environments that will also be intense, but, you know, just in the beginning aren't that intense. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's diff- I mean, but, but uh, my choice and the right choice at this stage of my life to, you know, to do. So, you know, I've jumped into Rowdy and Rowdy Energy and um, energy drink company that uh, all natural, better for you type energy drink uh, brand that, um, you know, just trying to bring some of the lessons learned from Suja to uh, to Rowdy and, you know, some of the things I did right and some things I didn't do right and learn from it. And, I, you know, it's been actually a lot of fun because I haven't, it's, it's been, I've taken a little bit of a different approach to it where I haven't been, you know, maybe added as hard as I was with Suja. So we're trying to work smarter, not harder. Um, you're sounding like a millennial. Over I know there, I sound a little like a millennial, <laughs> a secret to a, a successful four hour work week. Right. <laughs> That's um, but, uh, but also just the lessons learned, you know, and when you do, you know, in a certain type of industry for, you know, seven years working your butt off, you, you learn a lot. So, you know, I learned a lot that I've been able to apply that, you know, somebody will come to me with an idea and I'll go, mm, you know, I, I, whereas in the past I might've said, Oh, you know, let's try it. You know, I, I might say try it or I might say, no, I just, I don't think we need to do that. Yeah. So a little bit more confidence in the decision-making, which is, I think has been, you know, created a, a nice efficiency. Yeah. Yeah. How, how big of a, a role are the relationships that you've built over the past decade in the beverage space? How, how much is that helping you with this new initiative with Rally? I mean, tremendously. Yeah. I mean, this because of the credibility, you know, from you know, Suja being, you know, successful as it's become and, and you know, what the type of business that it's, that it, it's, it's, it's succeeded. And, and, and it wasn't always easy. I mean, we looked over into the abyss 
as you know, a bunch of times. And, you know, although the company's done really well and is doing really well today, I mean, it could have very easily gone off, you know, off the rails, off the rails a couple of times. And, you know, learning to be able to face that adversity and just understand, you know, what that's really like and, you know, that it's okay and being able to handle that stress, you know, is one of the things I'm I'm generally pretty good at. But the, the relationships themselves, you know, you know, just open doors and from a credibility standpoint, you know, the investor group in Rowdy, a, a bunch of them are the same investors from Suja that had a good experience. So, you know, there's a lot of commonality in terms of the relationships and just the thing, lessons learned. Yeah. How how much have you developed that trust? Like you were saying, you know, you have even more confidence this time around as you're going through and starting Rowdy. How much, how, like, how much do you have to trust yourself as CEO, as the and founder, like as the decision maker? Like how, how, what is, what role does trusting yourself play, trusting your gut, following your gut in, in certain situations? I mean, the, your gut is everything. And the more, you know, the more experiences you get under your belt, the more, you know, where you, you know, where you're good at and trusting your gut and where maybe you're not as good at and trusting your gut. And, you know, I'm always been, you know, a glass half full, you know, op- optimistic, you know, you know, person. And so I, I know where I can trust my gut along those lines. And, you know, there's certain areas where I don't trust my gut as much. And, and I, and knowing if you, if you have the right team and the right people, you know, you know where you can trust them. And that's the nice thing about having people that you've worked with before and in, in, in your, in your, in your new businesses is you again know where they're, where you can trust their guts and where you can't trust their guts. So, I mean, I, you know, for me being, having, you know, you know, having a second success, you know, gave me a lot of confidence in, in the business world in terms of like, you know, relying on certain things. And, you know, I, I was a young, I was a young CEO when I was 27, 28 years old. So, you know, everyone that worked for me was, was significantly older than me. And when you're in that situation, you know, it's, you don't, it's hard to trust your gut, you know, when you're super, you know, young and just kind of getting that experience. But then as, as that flips and now I'm the oldest person and everyone's a lot younger than me. So I, I have a lot, you know, a better sense of it today than I did, you know, in the years, years gone by. Yeah. I'd love to kind of unpack that. Cause I think there's a lot, there's a lot to that. That's, you know, that's led you up to that Suja, the Suja story as well. So when you were 27, 28, you were, that, that was the first, your first role as CEO and in, in, in what business was that? It was at Erico. It was a business based in Solon, Ohio. It was a constru- industrial products, um, you know, based business. And it was a company that, um, uh, my dad was the CFO of the company and, um, myself and a friend of mine from business school went to work uh, for a summer, you know, before we actually took jobs and on wall street and we, had, we accepted and everything. And we worked in manufacturing and sales for the, for the summer. And at the end of the summer, the owner of the company said, well, if you guys really believe in your consulting, we wrote a, we wrote like a 13 page consulting report. And the guys and the owner said, if you really believe in this, why don't you stay and implement it? And we're like, okay. And because um, uh, I'd always wanted to run something and be a general manager and 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 rather than just work in finance. And um, so I felt like it was a good opportunity. And within a couple of years or a couple of months, actually, after um, uh, I joined that, they re- removed the current CEO and asked me to be CEO. So wow. at 27, I was in charge of a 350 person, you know, um, industrial products company that was losing a significant amount of money and had a militant labor union and was a, had a high, had a high cost. So, you know, I call it rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic a little bit. The ship was going down over, over time, you know, but we, you know, we, 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 we managed. And that was actually my first 
experience with like consulting consultants. And, you know, I, you know, after, after three years of working in this business, um, we were probably on still page one of the, of the 13 page consulting report. So, you know, what I learned in that experience is, is that, you know, it's the uh, execution that is oftentimes much harder than the idea the ideas, you know, can sometimes be a bit of a dime a dozen, but the ability to execute and execute, you know, flawlessly or, and minimize your, your mistakes is really what a lot of times people, you know, fall down on and don't do a good job of. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's something you've been able to do time and time again in your in your career is, is execute, is not only have the, that high level idea, but then implement and get the people around you to execute on that. And that's like if you say, if you ask about like trusting your gut, like when it comes to things like execution, I trust my gut really well in terms of what I can do and what I what I can't do. Hmm. Um, so that's just an example of of, of doing that. But you know, you know, I, I am a strong believer that you know opportunity is the meeting of preparation and luck. And you know, you don't you don't you don't get you know lucky, and you don't get um, you know, and you don't get that opportunity unless you're prepared, and you get a little bit of lucky, and you get a little luck, and um, and you just got to keep you know getting those different experiences. I, you know, I've had eight different companies now that, um, that I've, Roddy is my eighth company and each one have been a little bit different. Last couple have been in the CPG space, but for the most part, they've been opportunistic, you know, opportunities that, you know, came up that I, you know, you know, I saw an opportunity in and and wanted to take the shot at to Mm -hmm. to make it, to make it successful. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. So that when you were 27, 28, like you, when you took that opportunity, you you did not think that in a matter of a few months you'd be asked to step in to run the business. Did you think that? No. At all? And the hard part was the guy that I went there with from my business school um, roommate. Uh, you know, he was he went from being a peer to being a direct report to me, and you know that was a really difficult transition for me to have as somebody that was very much a peer and kind of a yeah. comrade to all of a sudden be be managing him. And I I, I didn't do a very good job at it. I don't think hmm. I've learned how to you know to do that you know, much better, but, um, you know, to be kind of thrust into there at a young age, you know, I, I think what doesn't, you know, kill you makes you stronger for sure, for sure. And, you know, that business after, after two and a half years, we, um, ended up liquidating part of it and, and selling part of it. And, and then the, the company that, uh, the parent company that I was with moved me down to North Carolina to run another one of their businesses. And that business, you know, succeeded incredibly. And, it was kind of the first beginning of what I learned of, you know, that in the, if you look at those eight different companies that I've been a part of, um, uh, two of them weren't successful. And the two that weren't successful, I did a little bit of a postmortem mortem, um, a couple of years ago on them. And the two that weren't successful, you know, were both something, they were both commodity type businesses. They didn't have something disruptive. And I think in, in business finding, you know, something disruptive to kind of shift the playing field a little bit in your favor is just, you know, cause you're always stacked up with, you know, difficulties, but is, and it can be intellectual property. It can be innovation. It can be management team. It can be a route to market. It can be a lot of different things, but you know, you need to have something disruptive. And those were the two that, you know, the, the common themes of the two that weren't successful across those eight different, seven different companies. Mm, so looking for those disruptive opportunities, that's, that's been the pattern around the ones that have succeeded. Yeah. So as for example, like I, I, w- I wouldn't with Suja that one of the disruptions was, you know, the, the kill stuff and using HPP and making it much more natural. Um, and also the innovation, you know, approach that we took with, you know, we averaged a new product, a new product every 14 every 14 days over the over the seven years. And, you know, sometimes you it is like Stephen Jobs says, you can't 
you know, you, you can't connect the dots until you're looking looking back. Right. And, you know, uh, some people might have said we were a little bit too prolific with our innovation and too, you know, you know, not focusing on, you know, the ones that were really successful. But sometimes you don't really know until you take the shot and, you know, see, you know, what's going to be successful and what's not. I, now I've gotten a much better sense, at least in a consumer package good, you know, what are, what are some of the important things to make it successful? Yeah. One thing you always used to say was don't let great get in the way of good or something like that, right? Yeah. Don't let great get in the way of good. I think a lot of people um, try to get something perfect before they, you know, launch off into something. And, you know, if you're doing a legal contract or you're an attorney, then you you do want to get those things, you know, right. But if you're you're not, you know, we're trying to move like seven balls at one time, you know, forward and we can't, we can't get it a hundred percent done. We've got to get, you know, 90% and then we got to move on. Otherwise you end up kind of constipating the system and not getting, not getting anything, anything done. So, you know, we call it, you know, I call it don't look great, you know, get in the way of good. Just, you know, you can always perfect it once you get it out there, but see if there's, if there's demand for it first. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's funny to me that I I actually didn't know that whole that that, that backstory at the first company where you came on as like cons- basically to implement the plan that you put together and so you you walked away from going to another job on Wall Street then at that time then yeah I'd taken a job after business school to work on Morgan Stanley on, on Wall Street and um you know so I ended up having to go tell the people the week before I was supposed to start that I wasn't going to be starting and uh, had my name tag on the on the office and everything and the guy said. You know, you're 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 doing what? You're you're going to a troubled company that's losing, you know, three million dollars a year, um, and not coming to work here at Morgan Stanley on Wall Street. I'm like, yeah, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I, I, you know, it's 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 really where I want to ultimately be doing is being in general management in, in some capacity. Yeah. So was that a difficult decision to make? Because it kind of seemed like it it kind of seemed like that was the first deviation of the path for you, almost right? Like you kind of went through the steps college, you went to graduate school, you know, you work, went to graduate school and like, cool, cool, work on Wall Street. I'm sure that was a goal that you had for yourself or a vision that you had. And then all of a sudden there's like this kind of deviation. Do you see it as a deviation at all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I kind of, it's like jumping off the, you know, jumping off the the, the, the train, if you will, or the kind of the, the route plan. But, you know, I always wanted to, and I, you know, I having had a financial background, I didn't really want to get, you know, stuck into being just a financial person. Mm. So the general management opportunity was, you know, I didn't expect it to happen that quickly. And I actually had an apartment rented, furnished and everything in wow. Manhattan. Um, so I had to like, un- I'd unwind that. I was actually the first, Steve and I were the gentleman I went to do it with. We're the first people to quit our jobs out of business school. Um, <laughs> so I uh, got that moniker, but, um, but it was the right, it was the right decision. And I met my wife, you know, at this company that was the one positive thing that happened with the company that, uh, that I started with. I met my wife in, in New Jersey and that began a whole, a whole different journey. So well, I'm sure as hell glad that you did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I would have been a tree, right? Be a tree. <laughs> Inanimate <laughs> object. Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. And at what point um, is something that I remember you always used to say was that, you know, you had a, a fear of media, mediocrity more than a fear of failure. At what point did you realize, hey, like I want to I want to do something different. I want to be different. I want to take a chance. I don't want to just keep going through the motions of this life. Yeah, great question. It was, I know exactly when it was. I was 38 and it was literally um, right at the time that, uh, you know, our fourth our fourth child, Jacob, was was born. That I, I quit my I quit my job, and I I'll give you a quick story on it. But I um, and this goes this goes way back. But in high school, I was on a, a high school football team that my junior and senior year lost um, every single you know, the first eighteen games, the first ten games <laughs> of the first year, and the the next uh, eight games of the second year. We were in the ninth game of the uh, 
of the of the second year, and I was a tight end, and I'd actually caught a touchdown pass and caught a couple other passes, and had a pretty good game. And we were down by by like four points with a minute to go, and the quarterback was rolling out to the to the um, to the side, and I was kind of doing a down and in across the middle, and and I had the split second of you know you know wondering do I raise my hand and have him see me and throw me the ball and potentially drop it and be the goat or potentially catch it and be the hero and stop this winning streak. And I agonized over what seemed like, like five minutes as I was, but it was a matter of like seconds. And I ended up not raising my hand and the quarterback got tackled. We lost that game. We lost the next game. We went 0-20 in my, my two years. And I just kept kicking myself wondering like, what, what did I, what was wrong with me? Was I a wussy of some sort that I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't raise my hand. And I just, I, but, and I agonized with that for about 20 years, really, just in, in my, in my thinking, what was wrong with me? And then I was, um, you know, wanting to go off and take the entrepreneurial plunge and 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 go off on my own and leave that company that I was telling you about, Irico, that I've been with for 13 years. And um, I felt like I was standing on the high diving board, blindfolded, um, being asked to jump in the in the pool, wondering if there was water in the pool. And I, I just couldn't pull, I couldn't take that the shot. And you know, my mom was pushing me, Linda was pushing me, my wife. But you know, Linda's very risk tolerant. My mom, you know, thinks I could do nothing wrong. So I just couldn't take that plunge. And one day, I was channel surfing late at night, and I watched a bunch of senior citizens being interviewed, and they were being asked what did they wish they had done differently in their careers. And um, and every single one of them wished that they had taken more more risk in their professional careers, that they had the goods and they just didn't take the shot. And, you know, I, I realized that looking back that I was more afraid of failure when I was 18 and playing in that high school football game than I was of mediocrity. But fast forward to when I was 38 years old, 20, 20 years later, I was more afraid of, of, of mediocrity than I was of failure. I, I don't. I didn't want to be that person that 20 years later, you know, about the time I, age I am now, that you know, said, I wish I, you know, I had some pretty good talents and I wish I had taken the shot. And I took the shot. I went in and I quit my job. It was literally the month that, you know, that uh, that Jacob, our son, was born, um, and in our fourth kid. So it was a it was a big shot to take. But you know, never never looked back. Wow, that's insane. That's such a crazy story. And, and the, the cool the cool thing about that is that, you know, that opportunity came. How old were you at that time? I mean, 38. 38, right? And I think that that's a really great reminder for myself and for other young people where we like we can't look beyond the next couple years. You know, right. it seems very, very finite and that, you know, we now is the time. But it's it's cool to see that there is opportunities and the opportunities will continue to present themselves throughout life. I, th I think I, I say to people a lot that I think, you know, we get an opportunity kind of in our 20s, you know, maybe not everybody gets an opportunity in their 20s, then you get one in your 30s and you get another one sometime in your 40s. Um, by the time you get to your 50s, you know, you've got families and stuff like that and taking those shots are a little bit harder to take because the risk, you know, can be higher. Um, but, you know, you shouldn't act, kill yourself if you, you know, if you didn't take the shot in your 20s because you'll get another shot, but you're not going to get too many shots, you know, and, you know, you you, you want to be able to, you know, like I said, you know, have, be prepared and, you know, so that when you do get lucky and you do get that opportunity, you can kind of take advantage of it. What advice do you have to young people who feel like they might be faced with an opportunity to take a shot? I, I, I tell people all the time that, you know, it, it's always good in the beginning to kind of learn on someone else's nickel. Um, because, you know, if you're taking a shot, you know, re, re, regardless of what that is, you know, it's, it's likely going to take time 
It's going to take money and it's going to have risk because you're probably leaving a potentially a, a good job. And, you know, in, in, as you're kind of get out, you know, developing yourself, it's great to get some different competencies and skill sets so that when you do take and, and, and build up a little bit of capital, um, because, you know, most of the time, like in what I do in starting businesses or buying companies, you know, they tend to take longer than you, you know, optimistically think they'll take. And they tend to cost more money than you opportunistically think they'll, they'll cost to, to do. Um, so, you, you know, you want to, you want to have as, you know, put as much up on your, on your ledger, you know, that's going to help you be successful as, as you can. So, um, I think, you know, you know, creating a hobby, you know, for me, work has always been, you know, a hobby for mine, but, but if you, if you are thinking about taking a shot on something, you know, nurture it like, you know, a golf game or a run, you know, just allocate time to it, you know, give yourself a, de a deadline that, you know, by the end of this year, I'm going to have progressed this idea to a, a little bit higher level than where it is today. But, you know, don't quit your day job, you know, in, in the beginning, because, you know, you've probably got a pretty good day job. And I think the other thing is, is to really build your, your, your toolkit of, you know, competencies. And I think sometimes people try to go out too early on their, on their own. And when you go out too early on your own, you, you don't get, you know, the, the, it's very entrepreneurial and it's very, it's very unbridling to be able to do that. But you maybe didn't get this acquire the skill sets that you really needed to you know be successful so you know if you've got a good boss or you've got a good you know a company you've worked just you know just suck as much out of that as you can in the beginning to get the benefits of it so that when you do take that shot you know you you know you, it's you again just trying to shift the the success factor slightly your in your direction yeah and i i feel like a big piece component of that too is trusting that the shots will come and the opportunities will come and you don't necessarily need to force them Right. You don't need to force them, in, but you need to put yourself out there, you know, and in, in, in doing different things, meeting different people, trying different, you know, um, experiences so you can figure out what what is the shot you want to take and trying to figure out, you know, what that is. But, you know, you, you know, good people, you know, that with good networks and good friends and, and that kind of stuff, you, opportunities come up. And, you know, what you don't want to do is, you know, try 50 different opportunities. You know, you really want to, you know, think about, you know, what's disruptive about this opportunity. And I, as I mentioned before, I mean, disruption is like a really important key to me that I now, as I look at things with a lens, going, is there something disruptive about this that's going to shift the, you know, shift the playing field a little bit in my direction? With Rowdy, for example, you know, Kyle Bush is, is, is my partner, as you know, and, and, you know, he's a NASCAR driver and he's got, you know, four million, you know, uh, you know fans on social media. Um, so that shifts the the playing field a little bit in our direction, just having somebody that's out there talking about, you know, about the brand. And, you know, it's kind of like Vegas. You're not going to shift it 90, 20, 90, 10 in your favor. But if you can shift it 55, 45 in your favor, that's a really meaningful shift, you know, for you to be able to do. Totally. What what role have the people around you the, that you've associated yourself with, your friends, your network, how, what role has that played in creating those opportunities like you mentioned? Yeah, I mean the 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 friends and and you know the I I do think as 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 your mother says all the time. I mean you know tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. I think there's a lot of truth of truth to that. Um, my network, you know, from business school, you know, is and and Mike uh, Mike Stone in particular has been a great you know friend and you know partner and as we've looked at different things and and Steve Pierce has been mm -hmm. a great uh, you know friend and 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 network and networker and you know those people 
you know, those open doors. But I, I do think it's it's all about the individual. You got to create. You got to create that opportunity. You got to yeah. like think about what it is that's unique about what you're doing and why are you going to be, you know, why are you uniquely qualified to do it that someone else isn't? So that you're going to have something in favor of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Did Did Suja feel like a distinct opportunity that came across? You're the came into your world. Like, did you know from the beginning that hey, there there's an opportunity here? How did that play out from the inception of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of times, like I, we said earlier, you can't, you know, you can't connect the dots until you're in the future. As, as you know, we started Nika Water, um, you know, about about 15 years ago to you know bring clean water to, and, and and alleviate poverty to you know the people that aren't as lucky as as, as we are. And we created a, a plastic bottle water product that we sold, and and we used the proceeds to you know bring clean water to over 30,000 people. Um, and that unfortunately, that business didn't make it. Um, but you know, I, I learned you know about labelings, and I learned about you know branding. I learned about you know how to get the bottles and the caps and all that, so that when the Suja opportunity you know you know kind of presented itself to me, we were able to literally go from you know idea to being on the on the shelves in Whole Foods in in eight months, and that's super quick. And had I not you know had that failing experience from a business standpoint with Nika. I wouldn't have been able to move nearly that quickly to take advantage of that. And speed was, you know, what really mattered. And when we started Suja, um, you know, I was really going to do it just to, you know, as a consultant and a partner to help Eric Ethan's, one of the co-founders. And um, but as I got into it, I realized that it was really a giant execution effort. He had created a really great tasting cold pressed juice. Um, but there was nobody to execute it. And, and I'm a pretty good executor. So I was able to kind of flawlessly execute. And you know, if you get on your the shelves at Whole Foods as your first, you know, customer, that's a good and a bad thing. It's a good thing because, you know, you've just gotten on the top retailer in the, in the, in the country, if not the world, it's a bad thing because if you mess it up, you've just screwed up, you screwed yourself up at the top retailer in the, in the, in the country. Um, but it was a giant execution game and literally, um, three months into, you know, launching Suja, both Blueprint um, Cleanse and Evolution Fresh, the two, you know, the two biggest ones in the space, were, were both acquired, and they literally just went off the, off the, off the, off the, off the road. And that happens a lot to businesses when they get acquired because the entrepreneurs end up leaving, or the, you know, the big companies put, you know, too much bureaucracy and system in place, and they literally just got distracted for two years. And there was Suja, little Suja, that was sitting there, you know, in the, you know, just in the driver's seat, and all we had to do is execute, and we. Grew from you know zero to eighteen million dollars in our first year, and forty four million dollars our second year. So it was a lot of it was a lot of execution, but you know we were able to do that. And today it's nearly one hundred and fifty million dollar business that generates you know twenty twenty five million dollars in profit. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And w- w- was that when it was on the Inc. One of the Inc. Fastest growing companies that between that first or second, second and third year. Yeah, it was actually a three year period. So it was two thousand and twelve to two thousand and fifteen, and we were the um, uh, the f- fastest growing food and beverage company in America during that you know period of time. And we were the thirteenth fastest um, you know overall company um, during that time. We grew by eleven thousand percent. Wow. So it was a pretty big, it was pretty big growth. It felt like lightning in a bottle to some extent. Lightning in a bottle. Yep. I mean, and that's what uh, Bill Weiland, the the owner of Presence Marketing, our our broker for the Natural Food Channel, after he tried it, he said, uh, 
He said, Jeff, I'm literally standing up on my desk and, you know, just marveling at this product and how good it tastes. And if this is really what, you know, it, it seems like, you know, this is going to be a really big deal. And I want to, you know, I want to buy, you know, a quarter of your company. And I said, well, I don't have a quarter of my company to, to sell you. And he said, well, I'll just, you know, just t- tell me what, tell me what you have and I'll, and I'll, and I'll write you a check. I don't need to see any numbers. I'm like, you don't need to see any numbers. And he said, he said, no, I just, I believe in this, in this concept. I've been waiting for somebody to create a product like this for, for a long time. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. And and then comes the execution though. And I mean, I remember seeing and being a part of some of that execution, which was insane of, you know, logistics and procurement for ingredients for creating these drinks is difficult enough. But when you have, you know, sh- when you have expiration on sh- and shelf life on different things, I mean, you literally were buying farms because you couldn't get enough produce, right? We did. We bought Jack Family Farms just to make sure that we had produce availability. But in the beginning, we only had a 24-day shelf life on the product. So not even enough to hardly get it across the country. Um, today, they have a, uh, the, the company has about a 100-day shelf life on most of their products through improved sanitation and improved, you know, process and procedure. And because we have these HPP machines, which are, as you know, giant, you know, machines that are each three and a half million dollars a piece. And we have five of them at Suja and um, uh, they're, you know, they're really expensive to, you know, they're really expensive and we had to toll the product. So literally in the beginning, I drove the product from San Diego to Long Beach every day in a truck and dropped it off at, at Long Beach to have it tolled and then brought back the product from the day before you know, that we were picking up. And as you know, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a lot of work. I mean, lifting, you know, products, I'd gone through two knee replacements um, during that, you know, period of time. So there was a lot of, it was, it was, it was a a challenging period, but I loved it. I loved creating the creating, the creative creation part for me is the, is the one of the parts that I enjoy the most of it. Yeah. And I I think that was really transformational for, uh, for myself and, and, and my siblings to, to be a part of and to see, because we we not only saw this like yeah when you see okay cool you've gone from zero to eighteen million and eighteen to forty four million like sounds awesome it sounds great but you forget about the work that goes in behind the scenes to actually make that happen I think it was really um, eye opening and humbling to see you know yourself the CEO driving the truck yeah. and lifting the product and I remember we went in on Christmas Day one day to move around the um, to to move around the pallets like literally operating a forklift in a cold unit to prepare for the shipment the next day when we were super short handed and and my favorite stories when it was so we were watching Sunday night football game and we were it was one of the biggest production weeks at Suja in history right I was like it was only like 2,000 bottles or something it right. Was, right it was like something small and just for context how many how many bottles are probably doing a million and a half a week now. a million and a half bottles a week right mm-hmm. and so this was like the 2,000 bottle week or something massive right. and and so we were short staffed at the at the kitchen so you're like hey Josh can you you and Nina my sister can you can you guys go in and 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 just help out for a couple hours you'll be back in time for halftime for the you know Sunday night football yeah. game. So I'm sitting on the couch like, okay, you know, I got school the next day. Like, all right, like, cool. We'll go in, whatever. And, uh, and we start like literally getting, bu- getting buckets of carrots and we're operating the cold press and we're pressing down the grind. We're bottling, we're screwing caps on. We're like, we're doing all the things. And all of a sudden you look at the clock and it's like, we're approaching midnight. And then it's like, <laughs> we're getting up there. Now we're getting to the wee hours of the morning over here. Nina and I actually went straight to school that next day. <laughs> we went and stopped at Denny's, got some breakfast and went straight to school. And it was like this crazy, you know, all nighter experience of like working in the kitchen, which was really cool. And I think, uh, you know, an important thing because, you know, you see the accolades, you see the numbers, you see the growth, but it, we, I think we oftentimes fantasize that in, in entrepreneurship and in the startup world. It's like, you want to have that lightning in a bottle, but do you want to also put in the work that's required? 
to get there. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And if you remember, you came out with all the beet colors and the, yeah. and the orange and the carrot colors all over you. And um, but that's the you know the entrepreneur's dream is the you get to you, know, you get to climb that mountain and you get to be the one to put the flag on the mountain. But you got to climb the mountain and and you know in a in a in a in an emerging brand, you know, there's you know four different phases of of of, of managers and phases of, of 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 the company. And the first phase is really about the founder, and it's about kind of strapping it on the founder's back or a couple founders, the co-founders on their backs, and then having them climb the hill. As you get into and and if that doesn't work, then you're probably not going to make it. But as you get into more mature emerging brand, then you've got you know people that need to have certain in our case CPG skill sets that you know that they maybe learned from you know General Mills or from Nestle or from Kellogg's or big companies that they can bring to put process and procedure in place. And usually that that manager is not the kind of manager that's going to be that early stage because they're not going to understand that you just got to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And that early stage guy is not going to be that manager and that professional, you know, emerged business because it'll drive that person crazy because it'll be too, too much bureaucracy. But some people really like those systems. They like that process. They like that order. They like that balance. It's a lot more balance of life there. You know, I personally like the, you know, the first and second stage and third stage. Um, and the only problem is you're never really making any money. You're feeding everything you got back into the company in order to grow the brand and build a brand and all mm-hmm. that. So by the time you're really making money, it's it's on the it's in that fourth phase. You know, the phase that's for me not as much fun, but it is a lot more fun to make the money. Right. I, mean, Sujate, I never had a profitable year. At Suja, this is well. The first last year was profitable, but just you know barely. But we were losing ten million dollars a year, you know, for, the, for each of the first six years in building a brand because that's kind of what it takes, especially if you have to do your own manufacturing. Yeah, it, it, you know, it reminds me of what you're talking about. You've talked about it a bunch before. It's like you know the peaks and the valleys, and you can't appreciate the height of the peak until you've felt the, the depth of the valley. What what are what what have been some of the peaks in your career? Um, some of the peaks, maybe with Suja in particular, but some of the peaks that you've kind of, you know, stood at the top and been like, holy crap, like we're doing this. This is a peak moment. Yeah. I mean, I think anytime, you know, you, you are able to get a business up and down, meaning you're either buying it and then you're building it and creating value and then you're able to sell it. And, you know, as we talk about, you know, um, having the, um, the wires on coming in, um, the birds coming in versus the birds going out um, is is really nice, and to have it happen a second time, you know, t- you know, there's a bit of a tendency, or I've always had this you know, sense that until it happened a second time, it w- could it could have been a fluke right. the first time, and then when it happened a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time, and along the way there were a couple of those losses I mentioned too, um, you realize that you know success is a function of the number of times you get up to the plate and swing the bat and you're going to you're going to strike out and you're going to have some strikeouts but you got to you got to keep getting back up but you know your point about you can't you know unless you've had the scar tissue and you've had the losses along the way you can't really realize how magnificent those peaks are unless you've been in the depths of the, uh, those valleys and you know for me I mean selling you know having a multiple time successful business and and selling that definitely was one of the you know one of the peaks I mean the work that we did at Links you know the barbecue company I was really proud of because it was a turnaround brand and it was a good brand but we brought a lot of innovation to it 
Um, I always like the, I call it cul-de-sac innovation, you know, bringing stuff home, having you guys try stuff at home and having the barbecue and mommy's such a good barbecue or have her, having her give us her insight. And, you know, we were able to take all the guts to China and cost reduce it. We brought some innovation to the hood and to the, you know, we were the first ones to bring kind of a push and turn, you know, indoor range technology, the outdoor gas grill, you know, the sear zone. I mean, all those different things, you know, I was really proud of, you know, that. Uh, I've been really proud of the teams that I've built along the way of, of people. And I think that's been one of the skill sets that I've been able to to do is to kind of inspire, you know, people to be able to run through a wall if they, and, and, you know, be around on a Friday night or a Saturday or, you know, get do what it takes to get the job done. And a lot of that's just by pushing down that, you know, that responsibility, you know, as low as you possibly can to competent, you know, people and then not micro managing them. But, you know, I, I use the analogy a lot of a football field where if you and I are two different coaches, as long as we have a shared, you know, understanding of where the sidelines are and the boundaries are and where the goal line is, um, you know, I would want you to create your own game plan, you know, and your game plan might be to go right and left and mine might be to, you know, throw a long, you know, pass and, you know, first down and that's okay. You know, and, and what, what, what I need to be, what I try to be with my direct reports and my people is data points, you know, for them. You know, if you draw an imaginary graph on in your in your mind, and you've got different you know data, I might ask ten different people. You do the same thing too, but I might ask ten different people. Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I'm trying to understand what their data points are, so that I can draw my own imaginary line. And as 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 even though I might be your boss, you know, I'm not going to be the, you know saying do this, do that, do this. I'm going to be saying here's my data points, and you draw your own line. And as long as we have a shared you know, sense of where the boundaries are and where the goal lines are, you know, we, we should be fine. And and if, if we're not, we learn. You know, the, the biggest thing, though, is if you if you can't learn from your mistakes, because then you keep you keep repeating, you keep repeating those those mistakes. I mean, definitely the success with Suja and having it, you know, be so it's been so visible on, you know, such a and, you know, seven years, I did 11 fundraising rounds. And, um, you know, as you know, as you get towards the end of a fundraising round or uh, towards the end of fundraising rounds, if they're not being all anticipated, you kind of give up a body part for each one. So they're pretty, they're pretty brutal. Um, but to do 11 fundraising rounds in seven years was, you know, was, was very, you know, um, uh, took, a, took a lot out. I mean, the, the management teams that I created, you know, have always been something I'm really proud of and what those people have gone on to be successful in their own right, you know, after the businesses that I've been a part, I, that's always been a real motivator for me. So, you know, I've loved that. I mean, I my you know, some of my disappointments are not, ha not having my parents see, you know, my first um, company that I sold. I mean, I bought it. I just hadn't sold it until, you know, when they passed. Um, so that was always, you know, that's always been a, you know, bummer for me. Um, you know, spending too much money, you know, on some of the, you know, things where I've learned, you know, you know, how not to do that, you know, more so along the way, you know, or some of the lessons, you know, lessons learned. But, you know, I do believe really strongly in, you know, whenever you're looking at a new opportunity to, I call it begin with the end in mind, like a Stephen Covey from, uh, from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where, you know, he says, you know, you know, think about where you're trying to go and then work backwards. So anytime, I buy a company or I start a business, I actually create the selling memorandum, you know, for that business as part of my due diligence of buying it, you know, so that I can see, okay, this is what I need this company to look like in four or five years. And it needs to have, you know, a, a really robust innovation, you know, pipeline. So that means I need to build that into my kind of strategy, my strategic thinking to build out over the next couple of years. 
or it needs to, if it has a management team weakness, I need to build some capabilities on the bench strength with the management team and really begin with the end in mind and kind of work backwards to you know, what that game plan is. So good. So good. It was something that I, I, I thought was normal being around Suja and, and just being around all the different teams and people that you've worked with, you know, having, you know, it, the whole thing around. I'm curious to get your take on it. Like, you know, you don't mix business and pleasure. Or, you know, you've worked. You had you have family work in your businesses. You have business partners and team members over for dinners and 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 really integrate such a part of your life. Like what what have you seen? the benefits of that. Yeah, I mean, of I'm, that. I'm a huge fan of that. And I've had a few managers of, of mine along the ways that um, were, but they were my bosses early on that, you know, said you shouldn't mix that stuff. And, you know, with, with the amount of time we spend at work, you know, if you can't integrate that into your, your home life and have those people be, you know, um, you know, part of your life, um, then you're a different person at work than you are at home. And, you know, I, you know, my phrase, I say WYSIWYG is, you know, uh, is what you see is what you get. And, and being the same person at home as I am at the office, you know, is, is always been something that's really important, you know, to me, uh, being able to go out and have a beer and a sandwich with, you know, a teammate and, and like the person that you're hanging out with is, is always been important, you know, to, to me. I mean, I use the adage a lot of work hard, play hard, you know, so you don't want to play with people you don't really like. Um, so just being, you know, it, it can go the other way too. You've got to have a really strong partner, you know, on the home front, you know, to help to that also shares that, or, you know, as you know, mommy has entertained a massive amount of, you know, parties and get togethers and stuff that we've had with people that I'm sure sometimes she'd probably not, you know, probably wouldn't, you know, doesn't really like to, you know, do. And, and one of the things that I know she was challenged that was that, you know, a company that I, I, I did, I, you know, have integrated that so much into where you have to let someone go and then they see their spouse and they become friends with their spouse. And, you know, that's, that can create some awkward, awkwardness, you know, for people. So you got to have a little bit of boundaries and I, as I've gotten a little bit older. I put a little bit more boundaries on it, but not, not a lot because I just, I, I like to be, you know, with the people that I like to, you know, to, to work with. And I, I've also used sarcasm, you know, sometimes a little bit too far probably, but I've used sarcasm as a, as a way of, of, of enjoying the people that I'm with. And, you know, I, you know, if you're, you're welcome to abuse me in a, you know, in a respectful way, because I'm going to abuse you because I, I, I want to have that culture of like, you know, just kind of friendly, you know, jousting each other. Yeah. yeah. And I think that goes a long way in breaking. We're trying to break down the barrier so that when, you know, when you and I are talking about something, you know, you can be completely vulnerable, you know, with me and I can be vulnerable with you. And you can't do that unless you've, you know, really shown, you know, someone your own weaknesses. So I take shots at myself, you know, I'm very self-deprecating, as you know, and, and I do that because, I want to be able to, you know, I want people to see me for and my weaknesses as well, because I'm going to do the same thing with them, because that's the culture that I, I want. And I, you know, I, I, I've had, have had managers though that have said, you know, you shouldn't spend as much time as you do with your, with your teammates. But I, I just, you know, we just worked, we worked so much that being able to, you know, to have fun with them is, is super critical and super important. Yeah. And what about expressing gratitude too? Because I feel like that's something that you've always done is that's been massive. Like, I mean, you've rallied people around and specifically, I think of the Suja story, but you've rallied people around to be pulling all-nighters with you, to be, you know, going, wanting to go to war with you, to be emailing throughout the middle of the night, right? Like you rally people around and I know, you know I always love you, always CC me. 
BCC me on some of the emails that you send to the team as you're like sharing and expressing your gratitude at these different milestones at these different tough times. And that was something that I, I took in my first job. I took I, I took that for granted. I thought like, oh, yeah, this is how CEOs. This is the culture. This is how it works. Like right. it's normal to have an environment where like everybody is really in on it until I went until I went to my first my first job out of college. And I was I realized like, oh, my goodness, like that is unique. That's totally not the norm. Yeah, I think the emotional intelligence is one of the critical things. And I think it is, you know, cognitive intelligence, you have to have a certain cognitive intelligence level or threshold in order to, you know, be successful. Um, and if you don't have that, you're going to have trouble with it. But the emotional intelligence side of it, I think, is so much more valuable and so much more important. And part of that is, like I said, being vulnerable. Part of it is not taking the limelight from other people, letting other people take the limelight. I, I don't need, you know, I, I don't need to take the line. I, I want the ultimate line, the ultimate line light of having a successful business. And if that means that, you know, I, I, you know, help make someone else look good, especially if they've done something really good, you know, I'm always going to, you know, try to do that. It's, it's, a, it's, again, it's about breaking down those barriers, being vulnerable, having people, you know, you know, being willing to, if people can't share, you know, those, those dark concerns that they have, like the emperor has, you know, has no clothes on. If it's one of those kind of syndromes, they're not going to share it, you know, or if they know they're going to get, you know, a smackdown for sharing, you know, something they've done wrong, they're not going to share it. But if you create a culture where, you know, you don't give somebody a smackdown, but you give them a hand up and you say, hey, this is, let's learn from this and let's, let's take something away from this. And you create that culture that they're willing to do that. Then there's no surprises. And there's no things that are you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get, uh, you know, side sideline like that. So mm. it's about it's about, this, you know, treating you know, it's, it's like raising kids. It's the same. It's the same thing. It's you know, having having those boundaries and those boundaries are set kind of high enough that, you know, you're not you're not in a you know, combat every every moment with people. But you've set high enough that when you cross that threshold, it's like, yeah, this is a real issue. We got to like we got to deal with this. But people will be vulnerable with you if you kind of if you set those if you set those properly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier uh, the, the importance of having a partner on the home front that's been helpful in your business ventures and success. Like what, what role has that played having the relationship with mom that you do in, in biz, in your business success and your personal life as well? Cause I think another big component of this, I think is worth mentioning as well is that, you know, but you see a lot of times where people will focus fully just like all in the business and neglect things at home or not have relationship with their kids. But one thing like you were always, you know, you're always there growing up and you always made an effort and made, you know, your family a priority as well, which I think is, you know, as I get older, the more I see like how difficult that really must have been and must be. So like what role does having a partner on the same page play in that and kind of your philosophy to business life, family kind of balance? Yeah, uh, I'll start with the latter one first. But like I, I say a lot, if you've got work, you've got family and then say you've got physical fitness or, you know, kind of three or, or spirituality four or whatever those, those buckets are in your life. And I've always said that if I feel like I'm, if I feel like I'm doing, um, uh, if I feel like I'm, I'm doing well on one of them, um, you know, then I'm, I'm probably really failing. It's like, it's when you generally feel like you're, you're, you're kind of sub-optimizing all of them, that you're probably pretty well balanced. Because if you're really doing well, well at one of them, you're probably neglecting the other, the other ones a bit. So it's, it's, for me, it's always been about, you know, kind of feeling like, I, you know, if I if I know if I focus on this 100 percent of my effort, I'd be that much better. But I can't because I've got to have a balanced. I got to have a balanced life because a balanced life, you know, is one of the keys to everything for you know for for us, especially since with that, you know as an entrepreneur with how much you work. You know, in terms of in terms of uh, 
the partner at home, it, it's everything. If you've got a partner that, you know, you have to be aligned, I think, from a, a risk um, tolerance, um, you know, stand, risk aversion t- standpoint on if you're going to do a, if you're going to, you know, you know, take a shot at something, you know, if you're going to quit your job. You know, I know people have quit their jobs without talking to their spouses about it and, you know, and, and, and left positions where they had good benefits and, you know, good salary to take a shot at something. But they may be really risk um, uh, tolerant, but maybe their spouse is very risk averse, and that creates a lot of frustration. So being aligned on it from a you know risk tolerance, risk aversion standpoint is super important. I think being aligned on it from a financial standpoint is super important because you know in taking a shot at something, you, you might not make a salary for a year. You might not. You might it might fail, and you might be out of a job, and you might have left a good job. So you know you have to be really aligned on that. And you know, mommy and I have always been super, you know, super aligned on that. And then, and then having somebody that's that, you know, I like to, you know, I haven't done it as much recently, but in the past, I've always key positions. I've always, you know, tried to, you know, break bread with that, that higher hiree uh, with their spouse and with, 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 with mommy, you know, at, at a dinner before I hire them, because, you know, you get, you get to see a lot of idiosyncrasies with someone if they're interacting with their spouse at a dinner and they're interacting with you at a dinner and how they treat their spouse. And, you know, you know, if you find someone that's not treating their spouse, you know, in a great way, it's probably not somebody you want on your team that's going <laughs> to, you know, run through walls for their, for their teammates and their direct reports. And, you know, so having, you know, that alignment, um, you know, with a, with a spouse is just so important. And, and then, you know, uh, having a spouse that, you know, as, as, as you know, mommy was in business, so she's, an, she's an entrepreneur on her, on her own. So she, you know, understands, you know, um, and, and, and spouses have different, you know, perceptibilities than, than their other spouse. So it's like, you might see something that I didn't see in talking with someone. So it's just good to get those data points. It's also good if they're immersed in your business enough that, you know, that you can, you can share things with them so that they can give you advice. And it's just, again, back on that imaginary data point, you know, line that, you know, I love to get Ami's advice. She doesn't think I take it a lot. I, I actually do. I probably take it 60% of the time. And I, and I always tell people, I want your advice on stuff I'm doing. Don't get upset if I don't take it all the time, but I will take it uh, lots of times. So they're, again, they're, they're the data points for me. Right. You're, you are taking it in a way, even if you're not doing what they said, but you're taking it as a data point. Right. And you're you're taking the ownership and plotting your own graph or right. plotting your own line and taking initiative of your life in that way. Right. Yeah. Right. A lot of people like to, you know, selectively, you know, listen. And, and I think they like to try to hear what someone's telling them to support their hypothesis. And, you know, that's, that, that, that can sometimes be okay, but lots of times that's not okay because you're, you're not hearing what they're also telling you, which is the, the four other things. You're just hearing the thing you wanted to, you wanted to hear because it supports your, your hypothesis of what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes that that's exactly the thing to do, but lots of times you've got to make sure you just are painfully obvious, you know, with, what, what are those other things? And I call, I think being a really transparent person, um, I've always tried to be a transparent person um, and whatever, you know, is on my plate other than people's individual salaries, I'm, I'm willing to share with, with anybody because, you know, the more I can share, the more they can understand it, the more I can, more of those data points are value. If you don't, if you don't share stuff with people and you ask them their opinion, their opinion is not going to be that valuable because they don't understand some of the things that you understand. But if you teach them and train them and educate them on, you know, the risks and, you know, someone asked me the other day, it's like, 
you know, what do you worry about as an entrepreneur? And I said, everything. <laughs> I mean, I worry about everything because that's the truth of, that's the reality of it. Now, some of them are, you know, they're not, they're not risks I'm, I feel like I'm exposed on, but sometimes they are really things that, you know, I worry about, you know, and, um, but, it, but back on the, the spouse, I mean, having someone that has a shared mindset with you, is just so important and, and doing it, you know, if, if you're not married yet, making sure you're having those conversations, you know, before you get married, you know, you know, about your spouse, because some, you know, spouses can be very, very different. And, and lot, again, it comes back to that risk tolerance. In, in a lot of cases, some people just, you know, they get a lot of anxiety, overtaking uh, over the taking the shot and i think it's particularly hard if you're the spouse that is uh, is not the is not the one actually taking the shot in the job but is you know in mommy's case at home raising the kids doing all the other stuff you know the really the real important stuff in life but doing all that is like you know it's got to be hard for those people because you know they're one step removed from actually taking you know you know working with those those data points and taking those individual shots along the way so you know you kind of owe it to them to be you know that much more conversational with them and and you know educating them so that they don't get anxious and they don't get worried about you know well he maybe he's not thinking about this but if they don't get are not the ones that are taking those individual shots, you know, you know, taking the time to really educate them and bring them along, really, first of all, it's a really right thing to do, and it also will benefit your marriage. Absolutely. What what's the what's the end game for you here? Like what, you know, at the end of the day, you always said begin with the end in mind. I, you know, I, I think you mentioned you've gone through an, an exercise of like writing your own eulogy, right? Yeah. Um. What What do you like? What do you want to what, what impact do you want to leave? What legacy do you want to leave? Like, what do you want to be remembered for as what are those values that are important to you as you're looking, you know, at this next stage of your life? I mean, the, the, the legacy, um, the eulogy that you mentioned, I, I did, it was a really great exercise. I did it about 10 years ago. And, and cause I think a lot of times people, you know, they, they wait to, they wait to try things to, you know, get exposed to new things because the timing is never right. It's never, you don't ever have enough money to have kids. So you wait, and you push that off and delay that off, and all of a sudden you wake up and you're, you know, 38 years old, and you, your body clock is ticking, and, and you got a lot of angst and anxiety around that. And I, and I, you know, and or you, or you wait to take, you know, the, the shot on that on that business, and or you, or you wait to take that trip. And as you know, I mean, I, I, you know, feel really blessed in that, you know, I've taken those along the way. I've done the marathons. I've, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've been on the bobsled in St. Moritz. I've, you know, I've been up, up, up the, um, in the Amazon, you know, river, you know, catching crocodiles at, at night. I've climbed five of the seven, seven summits of, you know, tallest mountains on the, on the different continents. I've been on every continent, you know, I've, I've done it along the way. And you and I were talking about this not too long ago, the, the four hour, you know, millennial work week, which you said, which I didn't ever hadn't thought about, but you said, well, it's kind of like what you've been doing. You know, you've been enjoying, you know, the fruits of your labor as you go and not just waiting till you're, you know, 60 years old and then doing that. And all of a sudden, you know, God forbid, dropping dead with a heart attack and not ever really being able to do that. And we've, we've taken the trips, we've done the stuff. And, you know, I, one of the things I've, I've always said, and I don't plan to leave anytime soon, but, but if for something, some reason something happened to me tomorrow, I've lived a very, very full life and I, you know, I've loved, you know, living this full life. And in terms of the, the legacy, it's, it's really, can you create the 2.0 versions of yourself and your, and your, and your spouse? And, and if, if you can, if you can create the 2.0 versions of yourself and your kids, you know, to me, there's, there's nothing more important, you know, in that, um, you know, in, in, in doing that. And, and, and because if they can do that too, then you're, then you're expanding, 
you know, the, the universe and the, and the goodness that's out there in, in, in humankind and making it, you know, you know, better and better. And I, and I think for me, that's really what it's been about. And, and also, you know, helping people. I just got a note um, from a guy that I worked with at that first company um, who has been, um, has been, uh, uh, he was, he spent off alcohol for, for eight years now. And, and I helped him. I completely forgot that I helped him um, like 15 years ago, start his own business and, and leave. And he has, I have 1% of the company, his name's Steve Smith. And he said, you know, I just can't thank you enough. And I only talk to him once a year when he tells me he's been another year without, you know, without drinking alcohol. And he said, I just can't thank you enough for encouraging me to take that shot and go off on my own and, and, and start this business because I've been, you know, consistently making a half million dollars a year, you know, in this business for the last 15 years and it's changed my stars over time to do it. And I had completely forgotten, yeah. you know, about it. So, I mean, I get a lot of joy in, in seeing, you know, people that I've worked with you know, go on and do really great things in, in their careers, you know, hopefully from a little bit of the nuggets that I've been able to give them along the way. Awesome. Wow. I love it. I am certainly, uh, certainly grateful to have you as a father because like, you know, it makes a lot of sense as we're, as we're, as we're digging into the story as well, just, you know, hearing, hearing more about your story in these ways as well and, and seeing how much, you know, that's played an influence and, and you've given me permission and our siblings permission to take the shots, to be entrepreneurial, to do things differently, to divert from the path. And that's something that's unique that I feel like is not not something to be taken for granted as well. Tiger, so, mo tiger mommy. Tiger mommy's on yeah. it. <laughs> well, um, I love it. I love you. This has been an awesome conversation. Is there any anything else you want to share in closing here? Um. There's one other thing I'd like to share, and one of my greatest joys is um, is having having Rachel. Um, and as you know, our 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 daughter Rachel um, is actually Debbie's daughter, um, uh, and she's Rachel Church. She's my daughter too, and she's Linda's daughter too. So it's all in the family. But you know, when you choose to have you know your own children, you're making a choice to to have your own children. And um, when uh, Debbie, my sister-in-law, got pregnant when she was 38. Um, she really wanted to have the baby, and um, and we decided to have Rachel. Um, we we said, look, if you want to, you know, stay with us and get your feet on the ground. And she was just splitting with her with her husband, Amos. And um, if you want to, if you want to stay with us, you're welcome to. And you know that was uh, 20, 24 years ago, twenty three years ago. And she never left. And it was the greatest joy, and one of the greatest joys in my life to be able to raise, you know, someone. Um, a special, special child to begin with, but to raise someone um, and, and do something that, you know, would have really impacted her life otherwise had we not we not done that. And um, and I know she appreciates it more than anything, but I, you know, sometimes, you know, just got to be, I feel like, you know, people t tend to sometimes be a little bit too rigid, you know, on things. And you know, this is like a, you know, you just, this is a giant ship that you're navigating and it's, it's going back and forth and there's waves and there's bumps and there's, you know, there's, there's ground clutter and there's things to run into and there's, it's a treacherous, treacherous sea and all that, but, you know, just ride it. I mean, enjoy, enjoy this journey. That's life. You only get to, you only get to do it once and, you know, recognize you're going to make, you're going to make some mistakes and you're, you're going to do some really good things. You're going to be some things you're embarrassed about, you know, be honest with people, you know, to the extent you can, you know, about those embarrassments, because then they'll be honest with you with their embarrassments. And that's how, again, you create that, you create that vulnerability where, you know, one plus one, I call it synergy, but one plus one equals three. And, you know, I, I just, I've loved this life and I, and I love, I look forward to the next, you know, number of years. I, I plan and hope to you know, write a few books and, you know, I plan to have Rowdy be the, you know, the, the best and most functional energy drink on the planet um, here soon and, you know, and, and do really well with that and, and hope the world do, you know, better, you know, because of that as well. But 
Thank you for including me on this this podcast. Absolutely. Josh. I'll look forward to uh to to having you on again and uh and maybe helping you launch your own podcast with some of the interesting people from your life so you can spit some fire and catch these flows and and share some wisdom with the world. Amen. Well, thanks Josh. Love you. Cool. Love you too. Take care, man.